Hi, this is Across Seas, a podcast where we talk about travel, life, and everything in between with an Asian-American perspective. I'm Allie. And I'm Carol. We just wanted to say thank you for the huge amount of support we've received during our podcast launch. Our first few episodes are pre-recorded, but moving forward from this episode and the future episodes, we'll definitely take the feedback you folks give into consideration. Also, we received a voice message, so shout out to Less Than Ideal's 20s podcast for leaving a voice message expressing their support for us. Um, just a note for our future audience, or our audience, releasing we will be releasing episodes twice a month every other Thursday, so stay tuned every other Thursday to check out our new episodes. Mark your calendars. Woo! All right. So uh, what, are we, what are we talking about today, Allie? So today we wanted to have our audience know us um, and our personal lives a little bit more. So we will be talking about our lives as Asian Americans and the challenges we encountered growing up as Asian Americans. And then we'll talk a little bit about living in Hong Kong as Asian Americans. So let's start by talking about ourselves. Carol, do you want to start? Oh, sure. Yeah. Being Asian American. What does that mean? (laughs) Um... Well, yeah, I definitely identify as Asian American um, because both of my parents uh, immigrated from Asia. So my mom came from Gangwon province in Korea and my dad came from uh, Guangdong province in China. And then they immigrated to Hawaii around in like in the 80s um, and they met in English class at, in university um, and they immigrated with their parents. So my dad immigrated with my popo and gonggong. And then my mom immigrated with harmony. Um, so, yeah, I I grew up with a lot of, I don't know, it was like a weird mix. I grew up with a lot of Asian culture in my household. Um, I was especially close with my popo and gonggong. So I spoke mm-hmm. um, Canto with them. Uh, I didn't really pick up Korean, unfortunately. Um, but... Yeah, but it was also a weird mix, too, because my parents were trying to, like, acclimate and assimilate to be American, but still were, you know, they grew up in Asia. Um, so I was also juggling, like, this interesting mix of cultures at home, but, like, going out. Then mm-hmm. you have, like, living in America and then Hawaii culture, and then Hawaii culture has a lot of facets to it. So... Um, that's, that's a little bit about my background. (laughs) So it's a little complicated. Yeah. But what about you? Um, so I guess I see myself more as American than Asian American or like Chinese American. Um, so my dad is from Hong Kong, so he views himself as full Chinese, but my mom is from Minnesota and she's Asian too, but she also views herself as American. Um, And then growing up, I didn't live in an Asian community. I was adopted from China. And because I was adopted, I moved around, like I moved um, as an infant and then I lived abroad my entire life. So I was brought up in communities of that local culture and then with like other expats. Um, So I was friends with like expats from like around the world. And I didn't really tap into my Asian-ness side, if that's a word, (laughs) from like, like aside from like the traditions um, that my family celebrated at home, like home bows, like the red envelopes, um, Chinese New Year, and like basically just eating Cantor food. Um, and I think those like were pretty much the only traditions 
uh, or like Asian experiences I had growing up, like give or take a few others, um, since I can't really remember them right now. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I didn't really fully embrace my Asian American identity um, until probably my junior year of college when I studied abroad in Taiwan. And then after my experience in Taiwan, I became um, proud of being Asian American and what it means to be Asian American, you know, and what it means to like represent that. And I ended up making a lot more Asian friends and going out to eat a lot more Asian food. Um, so I ended up transforming into like being Asian American than being whitewashed, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, that's really interesting how your environment plays a big part of how you mm-hmm. kind of self-identify. And I guess um, talking a little bit more about Taiwan, like what exactly happened there that was so transformative for you? Um, I don't want to say that like cliche speech about how my study abroad experience really transformed me or how I had like the most life changing experience uh-huh. um, during my study I appreciate abroad. that. But mm-hmm. it really did. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, I, I don't think it was like that life changing, but like first okay so like first off Taiwan is a completely like underrated country in my opinion like I think mm-hmm. it's extremely beautiful and I think the people are so nice and it's so clean and the food is so cheap and yummy like what more can you ask for um but being in Taiwan made me realize like that the entire experience you know like from the peach the the peacher, the culture the people um the food to the traditions kind of made me realize like you know it's okay to not be whitewashed so in that sense it was kind of semi life changing um and it kind of made me realize you know it's okay to embrace some of these traditions which i always um frowned upon and i think a big part of my shift in mindset were the people that i met during my study abroad so you know Emily, right? Like, you became, like, really mm-hmm. close friends with her, too, because you're mm-hmm. both in Korea. Um, but she was my roommate in Taiwan, and she was from Texas. And now she lives in Korea, and we bonded over a lot of things. But also, the other people I met in my study abroad group, like, Seth and Freddie and Evelyn, like, they all seemed proud to be Asian American, even though we were from all different um, places in the state, like, within the states. So, like, me seeing that personally kind of made me realize, oh, like, there really isn't a reason for me to hate my own race, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. But, like, I guess going off of that, um, at some point, every Asian-American child, or, like, maybe most Asian-American children feel embarrassed um, about being Asian-American, and then, like, they have to overcome, uh, like, some sort of challenge, you know, like, whether that's having parents who can't speak English or maybe it's bringing homemade Chinese food um, to school and then having people totally stare at you which is kind of like a totally like fresh off the boat um, thing but what about you what are some challenges and experiences of being Asian American yeah I think I think you're bringing up a good point Um, I find it interesting yet frustrating that why so many of us have to go through this type of experience what does it say about um american society right um but i definitely felt i don't know how to explain it but i grew up in a predominantly asian community right the demographic of hawaii um after the sugar plantation era and a lot of uh workers were coming in from asia um so and you know all of us just ended up in hawaii so i grew up with a lot of Asian people around me 
Um, but at the same time, I still felt embarrassed to be Asian, which is which is kind of strange. Um, but I, I think it was more of a, like I wasn't good enough or I was too much of something, right? So I felt I never fit in the right standard for being um, Chinese. Like I, I never felt the stand, fitting the standard of being Korean. What does that mean? Um, and a lot of people kind of uh, critiquing me and saying, oh, you don't speak Korean? Like, what kind of Korean are you? Or you said that in, uh, in Hawaii? Oh, yeah. Yeah, even family. 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 Really interesting. I think, I think family plays a big dynamic, too. Um, and at even, even when I had to, like, record a video for class or something, um, and I had a little bit of a recording of my grandparents' house, uh, my popo and gonggong's house, and then someone was like, oh, Carol, your house is so Asian. Um, and I, I, I guess I, I kind of paused and I was like, what does that even mean? You know, like, yeah, wait, what does that even mean? Like, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I was like trying to think what's in the video. Like did the boot, was the Buddha? In, I don't think I put Buddha in the video. Like was, was, it was like a painting my grandpa did of chickens. Like, I don't, I don't know what does that mean? So it was, it was like these little instances that made me feel like I was either too Asian or like too mm-hmm. Uh, quote fresh off the boat or too uh, not Asian enough um, because like, I, I grew up in the states yeah I was, I was about to ask you like did you ever feel like you were too American oh yeah yeah um definitely I think especially around um other immigrant kids I think you know oh, they yeah. they don't yeah. speak English in their home necessarily so they are like multilingual right but I never I, I mean, well, both my parents spoke English to each other, obviously, since mm-hmm. my mom doesn't speak Chinese, my dad doesn't speak Korean. Uh, so I spoke a lot of English in the home and outside of the home. So I felt very different than a lot of second gen uh, or first gen um, Asian American kids growing up. Gotcha. Yeah. Interesting. That's crazy to hear about your experiences um, in Hawaii and what you have to deal with, especially in a small community. I'm assuming Hawaii's like community is pretty small, right? Yeah, it's like small yet big. Um, we're all connected in one way or another, but sometimes you you might not, you know, you you can avoid people. I I would think. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it, I think uh, there's. There's this myth that even if you're around other Asians, everything's okay. But I think given like the media and the lack of representation and a lot of other systemic issues and policies, like Asian Americans still have to go through things. Um, I don't know. I feel like even if you are around other Asians, it still doesn't feel okay. Like even when I'm like completely around like other Asians, like in Chinatown, New York, for instance, I feel so, like, left out. Like, I feel like such a black sheep. But, like, I have friends who are Chinese-American. And, like, they go to Chinatown all the time. And they feel, like, right at home. But, like, I avoid Chinatown, for instance. So, I'm, like, I don't... Being Asian-American, I guess it depends on your upbringing, for sure. And, like, your dynamic. Um, But it definitely doesn't... Like, at least for me, like, it definitely doesn't feel like I belong anywhere like whether that's like with an american community or like an asian community 
Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I kind of wanted to ask you a little bit more about, um, you know, you mentioned you were adopted, right? And I think a lot about how some people talk about Asian-ness, I guess, being like, oh, this traces back to my family or something. But I guess your story is a little bit more complicated. Um, so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about, you know, how you being adopted affected how people, you know what I mean? Your identity yeah. and stuff. Um, it's hard because, oh, like, there were times when it was hard. Because people would, you know, go back to your family roots. And obviously, as an adoptee, you don't know your birth family roots, but, you know, like, your parents' family roots. And if your parents are white, um, it kind of, and, like, you're presenting that, like, in front of a class, like, a family tree, it's kind of, it kind of doesn't feel like your family roots, but at the same time, like, it is. And, like, there's always this line, like, you have to balance on um, because you're trying to, like, fit in with your own family but at the same time like other people might not perceive your family as your family if that makes sense um but I guess I was extremely lucky in that situation because uh my parents are Asian looking um so I was able to hide being adopted um quite easily compared to my friends who were adoptees and who had white parents um but being adopted used to be like my deepest darkest secret like I wouldn't tell anyone um I was adopted because of the times I did tell people who I thought were my closest friends like they made fun of me and told everybody (gasps) even though like it was a secret that like I confided in them or consoled in them like and they like they would question me and they'll be like oh like so who are your real parents like your parents right now aren't your real parents like they're fake or like they don't love you or like you were just abandoned like why were you abandoned and I remember in middle school in Germany it got to the point that the principal had to pull me in the office because I became like the talk of sixth grade. Um, and I think I ended up getting in like into somebody's face, like yelling at them. So I probably had to be pulled in for that too, LOL. But I remember like sitting down with the principal, like, like explaining my situation and like they were kind of ex- understanding. But um, because of that situation, when I was younger, I kind of closed that part off. And then in high school, I would hear people jokingly say to one another, like, not even towards me, but, like, to their friends, oh, you must be adopted, like, that's why you're so stupid, or you suck, you're definitely adopted, and in my head, I was, like, oh, my (laughs) gosh, yeah, and I was, like, in my head, I was, like, using that as, like, using adoption as a joke or, like, an insult, um, and then overhearing that as an adoptee, I was just kind of, like, damn, now I definitely can't tell anyone, Um, and it wasn't until maybe, like, my junior year of high school when I took an anthropology class that I came in terms and became, like, proud to be an adopted kid. So, like, now if people ask me or it comes up in conversation, I would be like, yeah, I'm adopted. Like, I don't care. I'm adopted. Like, that's who I am. But, um, and I, like, I thought, like, honestly, I thought, like, that was the end of it because the older I see, like, the older I got, people thought, or, like, people seemed to think that being adopted was cool. Like, I remember when I was in high school and I was talking to some of the college guys at my swim team they'll be like oh you're adopted like that's really really cool and it was kind of surprising because like all my life I I was so used to being made fun of for being adopted and then I was used to being made fun of for being you know Chinese American and then I talked to like these old guys and they're like yeah like that's really cool like why are you hiding that that's nothing like you should be ashamed of so then like I kind of I guess came out of my shell but surprise surprise (laughs) apparently um in college (laughs) 
uh, I went to a predominantly white college and there was this guy on the football team and I was like that I was like talking to for a bit and I told him I was adopted because he asked and he was so freaking sheltered and narrow-minded like this is college mind you you know like this is where you're supposed to become more educated and meet a lot of people who are not from your hometown you do you know what I mean like you gain a lot of exposure mm-hmm. yeah no people. for sure for sure um and so <laughs> I told him I was adopted and he was like what happened to your real parents do they not love you and I was like oh my god <laughs> why do people think it's okay to open their mouth but oh. I, I don't know I was just kind of like you are so sheltered like you don't you don't say shit like that to begin with and he apologized a few days later um oh thank goodness but he was just kind of like I, I guess I was being insensitive and it's funny because at my college there were a few people you know like there were a few amount of people who were adopted as well and I ended up finding them as well um but <sighs> I don't know like he he mentioned that he never men- uh, met an adoptee before and he didn't know how to act and I was like kind of shook because I'm like what do you mean you don't you don't know how to act like <laughs> we're exactly the same <laughs> with two fucking people excuse my language um yeah, yeah, like yeah. two people you know like it doesn't matter where you come from or like what type of life you had or like if you were adopted you know or like if you're from Mm -hmm. a low-income family like stuff like that like external stuff like that it doesn't matter about that like when you're talking to one person like to another person in conversation Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. well it shouldn't matter um but it did apparently so I guess to our future audience when you meet an adoptee you don't like you shouldn't ever say you know like who are your real parents like did they abandon you um, because we have two sets of parents and like the first set is our birth parents you know who literally just gave birth to us hence the term birth parents um, and then the second set like are our real parents you know the ones who adopted us who raised us who fed us and sheltered us and loved us and provided the life that we currently have now um, so when you address someone you would address like parents as like parents or birth parents um, and then also, there are adoptees who do not want to meet their birth parents at all mm-hmm. and who have no interest in meeting them. And I'm one of them. So if we express that we don't want to meet our birth parents, like don't press that topic onto us. But there are also adoptees who want to meet their birth parents and are so um, enthusiastic about it. And they're like, oh, my God, I can't wait to meet them. I've been waiting like for this moment my whole life like just support them don't question it like don't say ignorant stuff because I know for a fact that everyone is better than that but <laughs> triggered triggering triggering mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. wow um, I feel like we just like dove into this deep part of you and thanks so much for sharing with everyone because it's important you know like I I think there's not enough representation of course of like uh, uh, like Asian Americans but also like Asian American adoptees you know different family makeups um and I think what you're touching upon is really important where you know if if you don't understand or not expose that's like that's fine you know you can't control your life but mm-hmm. you you have to be sensitive that there are people who are different than you and you just need to sit down and listen like you don't need to talk you don't need to open your mouth I don't understand and you know what also baffles me is that this happened to you both in America in New York specifically and like Germany right like to uh, Mm -hmm. like 
different con- continents, and yet it's it's still a problem that you had to face. So um, I'm happy yeah. though that you you've come to terms and you've come to become proud of you know yourself. And I think I went through that process as well in in being Asian American. Um, so I'm happy we both became proud of who we are. <laughs> So that was a little bit about us and our lives. Um, and I guess continuing to talk about our identity. Um, I think living in Asia and being surrounded by Asians in Asia is a whole different ballpark, right? Mm-hmm. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what it was like living and traveling in Asia uh, as an Asian American. Yeah. Oh, and also like Hong Kong is made up of like a bunch of different type of people you know like they're made up mm-hmm. of hong kongers they're made up of expats they're made up of domestic workers from around southeast asia like mm-hmm. um the philippines what other countries thailand uh, Bang- Bang- bangladesh indonesia bangladesh, yeah indonesia yeah um so it is quite diverse in itself too mm-hmm. but yeah i think um my experience in Hong Kong was kind of similar, but also slightly different to my experience in Taiwan. Um, because, you know, in Taiwan, have you ever been to Taiwan, Carol? Yeah, I did. I agree with you. It's super underrated. It's super nice. I would live in Taiwan. Yeah. Um, so everyone was welcoming. And at least in my experience, um, if you looked Chinese American or if you looked Asian American and you spoke English, like that would be fine. I did not get any stares or judgmental looks or whispers. But in Hong Kong, as much as I do love Hong Kong, um, and I'm not shit-talking it, don't get me wrong. Like, I respect Hong Kong. I think it's extremely resilient. And I'm honestly proud to have lived there and experienced the culture and obviously experienced, like, the people there, too. Um, But I'm not going to lie. Like, there were times when it felt suffocating. Um, And honestly, Mm. like, low-key, slightly embarrassing to be Asian-American there. Because as an Asian American, you know, you look Asian on the outside and obviously you're Americanized on the inside. And I didn't speak Cantonese um, and I barely spoke Mandarin. Like I spoke like Chinglish. <laughs> so even if I did speak Mandarin, um, it wouldn't even help my situation because of the whole like political aspect um, that Hong Kong has with mm-hmm. mainlanders and Hong Kongers. Um, but speaking English is and like was your best bet. Um, so even if we spoke English in Putai or at the mall or even on the train, like I would get these stares kind of questioning, why is this Asian person speaking English? Or is she trying to show off that she could speak English? Or, you know, does she think that she's better than us by speaking English? And I'm kind of like, no, like that's not the case at all. Like I just don't know how to speak Cantonese. And honestly, like that's the only reason. I can barely speak English properly on a good day. And that's like my freaking first language. So um, in terms of like Hong Kong, it didn't really help me in finding my identity or like it just kind of made me feel like the black sheep, if that makes sense. And the same goes with, with traveling within Hong Kong as well. I found myself to be, or I guess like I found myself going to a lot of expat community, um, neighborhoods in Hong mm. Kong, you know, like mm-hmm. where you would see more white people or like at least more hong kong american people or like hong kong Mm -hmm. like is that that a thing hong kong american like hong kong british people like you know just like halfies basically i guess 
Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Versus where we lived in Futai. Yeah. What about mm-hmm. you? Um, like you taught English in China and then you came to Hong Kong. Like how was that transition? Did you feel like more accepting to be Asian American in Hong Kong or did people view you the same? Yeah, I um, I think at least in Hong Kong, they're used to Asian Americans or overseas Asians um, because they travel more, right? So I wasn't as an abnormality versus when I was in Li Shui. Um, I, I don't think they're exposed to that because they don't have the opportunity to leave China oftentimes. So I think a lot of my culture shock and my identity happened in China. So I, I would, my Mandarin was like, okay. Um, mm-hmm. But they could definitely tell I had an accent and they would ask, I would have to explain my story again and again, like, yeah. you know, and, repetitive. Yeah. right. And I think in China, mainland China, a lot of the older people would actually get angry at me for not speaking Mandarin fluently. Um, And I think what really hurt me was I was basically used as a tool for them to talk to white people. Um, So one time I was like, yeah, I was like at a fundraising beer pong bar thing for... Oh my God, that's so American. (laughs) Right, right. So it was like, it was a beer pong fundraiser at a bar for an orphanage in China. Um, so I was there, it was like a bunch of us expats and these, uh, local Chinese guys came over. They were like older, you know, and they saw me and I guess they found out it was one of my friend's birthday and they were like, Oh, funny, 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 like translate, translate, translate. And then like, they literally would grab me and shake me like my shoulders. And I know they were drunk, but I was like, yo, I just, I don't want to be used as a tool to talk to white people. Uh, for you to talk to white people like, when you're not even treating me as a human being. Yeah. Um, so I like walked out of the bar and everyone was like, oh, Carol got pissed. You know, because I don't get angry often. Yeah. Um, so after those types of experiences, I was kind of excited to go to Hong Kong. Um, and I never got something as drastic like that in Hong Kong. But again, my, my Cantonese... I did speak Cantonese, but I have a specific accent. Um, I have the the Zhongshan accent, which is in mainland China. So they assumed that was from mainland China. Um, And they would either switch to Mandarin for for me um, because my Cantonese wasn't like super fluent. Um, Mm -hmm. Or uh, yeah, uh, some, some Hong Kong people, you know, as you mentioned with the political tension, um, and they don't want to be a part of China. They like this one lady I remember at the train station was like, "I don't want you even in my Seven Eleven. Oh my god, uh, store. You know, like she was so she was like, "Bag it yourself. I don't want to bag your convenience store what? items in Mandarin." Seven Eleven. Yeah, yeah, it's one of the Seven <laughs> Elevens. Um, so it was kind of um, it was a little strange for me because even though I spoke both languages a little bit, mm-hmm. um. I still felt like I would never belong, um, and it's uh, it's a, it's a, it was a weird dynamic. But um, I think by the time I got to Hong Kong, I tried to be more accepting of this fact. I was trying to, you know, tell myself, you know, I understand. This is how it is, and 
I just have to like work with it and be proud of myself. Mm-hmm. So I I would make friends, you know, like Jason. Jason was chill. Yeah. Um, hi, Jason. And <laughs> um, would really try to talk to me about like Hong Kong culture, Canto culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we would go to like, you know, all these yummy Canto food places. Um, yeah. And so there, that was an avenue for me to get in touch with my my. I'm not from Hong Kong, but my grandparents are from Southern China, so the mm-hmm. Canto culture, um, and even like little things, like the the veggie man in the wet market. He would give me green <laughs> onions. Yeah, what? all the time. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, Hold on, he what? <laughs> he would add green onions in my bag. Um, whenever you I got green things. onions. <laughs> You never got green onions? No. <laughs> what? Oh my god. Yeah, he would add green onions and I that's why I would always go back to him cuz he would what add green fuck? onions. <laughs> what the hell? What is it? I could have had green onions. What? Yeah, I don't I don't I don't know. Maybe maybe it's cuz I spoke I don't know, but yeah, little things like that is <laughs> really nice. <laughs> god dang it, kill. <laughs> Oh, no, I, thought, I think I thought everyone got green onions. I was like, no. oh, that's it. Oh. <laughs> I would go to him all the time because he was the only one who spoke English to me. And he was always nice uh, and everything. But he I spoke just English? got freaking oh. green onions. Man. <laughs> I think it's just because you, like, created a relationship with him, maybe. Um, maybe, maybe. I did like, go to went him so <laughs> Yeah, like, yeah so I would wait. Okay, everyone. So I am a little popo. I would, like, get up in the morning <laughs> when the wet market just opens. You see them still, like, setting up all their stuff. And then I would go pick out pick out the vegetables before oh work. <laughs> and then I would get out my little Hong Kong dollar coins and, like, give it to him and bar, you know. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. And I would make all my Canto soups. All my soups. I miss your soups. I miss them, too. I can't <laughs> eat them right now. I mean, uh, the ingredients are not as available. But, yes, that's, yeah. that's, that's my little. That was the best part. <laughs> Making my soups. I think I definitely think it's like a mindset shift, you know, or like a shift in mindset in terms of um how you're treated or like in terms of changing your view on how you're treated. Because you mentioned like in mainland China, like they would tr- kind of treat you aggressively, and then in Hong Kong, like they would also kind of treat you aggressively, or like you know, like as a as a tool to communicate with other people. But I think if you shift that mindset or like a shift different perspective into a different perspective, um, it's not that like we're using you as a tool. Cause like you helped, you were the only one in our group who spoke Cantonese and you helped um, everyone, including Mark um, with Cantonese. And it's not because like we wanted, it's not because like we were using you as a tool. It's more because you had this incredible ability to communicate and you had like this incredible ability to speak another language while all of us could like, didn't have that skill. Um, so if anything, I think it's something like to be more envious of than um, something to be shunned of, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, and I, I, I think I think after my couple of years, it, it, I tried thinking of it in that way. I just I just didn't appreciate like people assuming that I was there for their like whenever they wanted to be used, um, you know, instead of. Like, hey, Carol, like, uh, I was wondering if you could help me out. It was just, like, that instance in China specifically was like, yeah, she's right here. Yeah. We're going to just literally grab her and ask her gotcha. to help us. 
Oh, not not even ask. Like, just she's gonna help us. Um, oh, gotcha. Okay. So, but I, I appreciate that. I appreciate those words, and and then I enjoyed. I enjoyed practicing my Cantonese and helping you folks out. Like, you know, when we went to the <laughs> the the the, the uh, ladies market. Oh my god! Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, you and Amala wanted to get earrings, and yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I have I have a little thrill from bargaining. Um, and I can't really do that. Dude, in you are so good. You are so freaking good at bargaining. Like, oh my god, everybody! If you want a bargaining person, go to Carol because she will get that for you for like half off, fifty percent. Oh man. You're oh, good. I appreciate that. I mean, I, I, I think Canto. I'm the best in Cantonese, but I have to say. While in Hongdae, I did bargain for some shoes in Korean. And I was like, all right, Ooh. I made it. I, I mean, it wasn't as good as my canto, but I still got a good deal on some <laughs> shoes. So, <laughs> yes. yeah. Yeah. Um, so I guess a tip like, for everyone listening in, in Hong Kong, there's a place called Ladies Market. And it is famous for vendors and stalls selling knockoff versions of designer brand, like name, purses, jewelry, accessories, other like miscellaneous gadgets. Um, but the prices are extremely high. And so you don't go into the ladies' market paying full price. Like, you go into the ladies' market with the intention to bargain for half off and then work your way up to, a comp- like, a compromise. Um, but you don't ever pay anything, like, full price. And if you can speak Cantonese, like, your gold, like, you just won yourself the deal. But could you explain what, um, what is it called again in Korea? Hong, Hong oh, Hongdae? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's very similar. In Hongdae, I don't think you can... You have to be uh, aware of which stores you can bargain at and which stores you can't bargain at. Um, mm-hmm. Because I think in, in Hong Kong and China, bargaining is just, like, widespread. Um, except in Hong Kong and, like, big department name brand stores, right? But in Korea, yeah. I think bargaining is not... Uh, depending on where you go, you can bargain. Um, but, yeah, I think the key component is language ability. Um, just knowing numbers is really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of, it's, I kind of did the same thing. My trick is usually to try and buy two items um, and try to get a good deal from for both items rather than paying full exactly. price for one item. Um, so I got, I got some cute flats and some boots uh, <laughs> for the price of a little more expensive than one, one pair. So <laughs> I think I kind of did that with your earrings too because you and Amala both wanted earrings. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess like going back onto topic, we, I guess like we never fit in as Asian Americans, you know, like you're either too Asian for America or you're too American for Asia. Um, and we're just like always the black sheep. But I definitely yeah. think, yeah, <laughs> but I definitely think our experience in Hong Kong um, was educational, like for the both of us. And I think it impacted us um, in a good way. Except maybe not health wise, <laughs> but that's another story. Um, oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's um, a story for another day. <laughs> but we, but. I think we both enjoyed our time there, and I think we both learned a lot, like while we lived there as well. Oh um, yeah, and we ate a lot too. We ate so much food. Um, but I guess before we get too carried away with our memories, uh, I hope you learned a little bit about our experience as Asian Americans and our lives in Hong Kong. Um, so tune in in two weeks for our next episode. Yay. Okay. Bye. Bye.